Cool. Um, so I'm I'm sitting here with uh, Shukriya Bradost. I had to practice that before we started today. And uh, Shukriya, I'm actually really excited to host this conversation with you. I think this is an extension of some previous conversations that I've hosted on my platform um, in and around the vein of Iranian politics. And, uh, and there are some very relevant events happening right now that we'll explore. And I'm sure that you'll be able to provide some broader context on. Uh, I found you, maybe it was Clubhouse, but then maybe it was Twitter or LinkedIn. And I noticed that you do really good uh, analysis <clears throat> in the international news format. So I've been watching that. And then I uh, obviously feel lucky that, uh, I mean, we didn't know what was happening out in the world. I wanted to hear your perspective on your research or our timing works out because there's some important things that we can discuss in this conversation J just to give people a kind of uh rough shot idea of who you are from my perspective and we'll expand on this uh in the least uh you're doing your phd at virginia tech in international security and foreign policy and we'll dig into that a little bit and then uh you've also uh uh, worked at the United Nations, you've done uh, media, you've lectured. Uh, so we'll get a more succinct kind of picture of your uh, background. And then, uh, you know, as somebody who studies uh, politics myself, uh, one of the things that has fascinated me is uh, just like various forms of political dissent uh, liberation movements. Th these are things that are important to me that I like to highlight. And honestly, uh, for the audience, uh, American politics is interesting, but the formation of the state was mostly uh, Christian white nationalist arguing uh, with more elite educated white men over interpretations of the Bible, uh, which bled into the law of the Constitution. So somebody introduced me to uh, some of the Middle Eastern political thinking or the kind of state formation that has been really fascinating throughout the region. And I got obsessed with that. And so, so that gave me at least a baseline to kind of hear and interpret uh, some of uh, your perspective in the analysis. And then as we discussed, uh, uh, you have an Iranian Kurdish background. And, uh, and for the lay people out there uh, that don't know much about uh, Kurdistan, uh, we'll say this, this is a basic definition for me, but you can correct this. But we're talking about an ethnic group that uh, expands through Turkey, parts of Iran, and parts of Iraq. And then the, this will be really important for our conversation today. But Shukriya, before we get into that, where I think we could start, even though I've given a, a baseline introduction, is like, uh, where are you coming from? And uh, how did you decide to do your PhD in political science? That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. By the way, your practice result was perfect. You're pronouncing my name perfectly. Much better than other Americans <laughs> trying to say 
Shakira, Shakira, but yeah, thank you very much. Um, sure. I have a I have a long journey to talk about it. I born and raised in Iranian Kurdistan. Uh, as you say, I'm Iranian Kurd, so I born in a Kurdish region in Iran. I did my um, and uh, my uh, high school, all my school, I studied in Iran. So my first degree was diploma in science. I finished in Iran and I got accepted in a, a medical school. I was first in the school, so I was got into medical school. Unfortunately, I was forced to leave the country because my political activity. So I didn't have a chance to finish medical school in Iran. So I fled the country. <laughs> we can put it that way. <laughs> because, you know, being a girl arrested by Iranian regime, uh, you it's, it's real difficult for me to explain that part of the, what's happening to the girl in Iranian jail. They've been raped. There are, there are thousands of the um, uh, case we have. The girl being raped, killed, and at the end, they don't allow the family even see the, the grief. So it's a really difficult situation for a girl. That's the, that's the reason most of the time the family trying to like help you to flee the country if you're a girl. That's how my family, my father, my brother, they helped me to, to leave the country because it's difficult. I just can't put in that word. It's a really tough situation for the family. And I was just 18 years old. Um, I I came to the Iraqi Kurdistan, still living there. So I have experience living on Kurdistan region government. And I did my undergrad in that region. I finished law school. Okay. Uh, when I was doing my uh, undergrad, I became a journalist. So I started as a reporter for one of the university's magazines. And then uh, my in my third year of the uh, my undergrad, because doing law school in Iraq and Iraq Kurdistan is a four years. So in my third year, um, I was editor. After three years That's of the doing journal, I was editor of the two magazine, one newspaper, and I become a manager uh, of the center for the research for student research and media. Hmm. And in two thousand seven, so I left here in two thousand four. In two thousand seven, I become uh, I elected by all Kurdistan Student Union in Kurdistan region as a representative of all Kurdistan students. So I become wow. the head of the Kurdistan Student Union. Uh, and actually, that was a historical moment because I'm the first Kurdish individual from different parts of the Kurdistan coming to the Iraqi Kurdistan and representing all students there. Wow. For them, even for them, it was a history because most of the uh, Kurdish leader in Iraqi Kurdistan who are like uh, president, prime minister, they've always been part of this leadership of that organization, Kurdistan Student Union. So I was one of them. I become one of them. And then because of that responsibility, we have a lot of uh, workshop. We have, you can imagine how, uh, we were busy with doing uh, all these uh, training, uh, whatever you're, you're working as an organization to help the student, even publishing book, translating, uh, science, scientific book, law book, all these different books for not just students in the university, for postgrad students, uh, for even in the high school students, we have a different program. So I did all this job. Then I was... Uh, practicing law uh, too uh, after I graduated from school um, I was in the Minister of Higher Education in the Kurdistan region government 
And after that, I went to, during that time, as I say, because I was a journalist too, so I was writing about the Middle East development, political development. I had a seminar. I was on Kurdish TV talking in Kurdish about the uh, political development in the Middle East. I remember, that's so interesting. Um, I had a, some uh, interesting, uh, because I always try, when I write, I analyze some uh, new development about politics. I try to have a different perspective that other people didn't talk about it. If I, sure. I, 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 it's something we think, uh, when I have some idea, I do my research. I want to know if there is any piece, any writing being published about that perspective that I have. If someone already wrote about it, I don't, I'm not going to write about it. So it is the reason I always find my writing or my perspective, um, don't want to give myself too much credit, but I found it unique. Uh, sure. but, I, I remember when I was too young, I was writing about the like uh, Turkey's soft power in the Middle East, how Turkey's soft power have influence on the Middle East countries. Some people, they made some fun on me as a, they didn't believe of the woman's power, how a young girl can write that kind of the um, piece about analyzing the foreign policy of Turkey. And after years, I can see they believe what I say now after, I mean, not now, I mean, five Four years after what I wrote, they they came to me. They said, oh, we didn't believe that. What are you talking about should be really what is going on in the politics because you were too young, yes. a girl. So uh, it was one of the examples. But it never stopped me from what I'm doing, what I have been doing in the politics science, analyzing politics. And then I went to England. Uh, I did my master on international security uh, in uh, at Lister University. I finished my uh, international security. I got my degree. I was among one of the first people who got that degree in Kurdistan region. When I went back, this is what uh, uh, interior minister, Kurdistan's interior minister, he told me. He said, you're the first one you have uh, that degree on international security. I didn't know it will be a woman getting that degree, become the first one. Wow. Uh, then I, I finished this uh, training for teaching the university. I got that uh, uh, position in the university to teach. Unfortunately, uh, that's maybe the first time I'm saying that in the media because I wanted to people read my book. I will just uh, mention it in, in few sentences. I will keep it sure. like when they read my book uh, because of the Iranian regime. Uh, they threatened me and Kurdistan region. I couldn't stay longer, so I have to leave that region. And I found myself myself in America. Okay. I were I was forced to leave Kurdistan region too. So sure. the Iranian Iranian regime, when they found that I'm too successful, and they found me as a threat for the regime, as a young girl with that kind of the degree and background so they they forced me to leave that part of the Kurdistan too and it's been um five years i'm here in the u.s i started my phd program when i came here actually i didn't have a, that opportunity so you know i went through the gre exam other exams so i got accepted so and uh, first i got accepted in the Columbia graduate university i finished my first semester in the Columbia graduate university and then I got the internship with the UN. I went to New York. Uh, I worked with the UN for six months. After that, I had an internship with the counterterrorism. I can tell you I have more than 10 certificates from all counterterrorism. It was a okay. it was an amazing experience with them. Sure. And then I got 
a PhD offer from Virginia Tech. Uh, now I can tell you, I'm in the last stage of the, my doing my PhD. I finished all my uh, classes and qual exams. So now I'm working on my dissertation, which is about the uh, securitization of ethnic groups in Iran. Wow. Where I'm coming from. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Wow. I yeah. just to tap into what you're doing your dissertation on. I just started looking at um, securitization through a specific discipline. I'm not going to say because it, people will think it's contentious, but it's not ethnic or racial. Let's just say that. But I uh, am also uh, studying uh, like revolution and political violence currently. So wow, that's like amazing. The, it's very I'm, interesting. I'm, about my education, uh, as I first, as I said in the beginning, I studied Farsi first when I was in Iran. I got my diploma in the Persian language. I mean, in the science in the oh, Farsi wow. language. <laughs> I uh, finished my undergrad law school in Iraq in Kurdish and Arabic. And wow. then my master was in English and my PhD now is in English. So I can tell you, I finished all my educations with the five different languages. So I was thinking maybe postdoctor will be in the Spanish language. Or the, <laughs> Just to show off. Yeah, yeah you know, no, <laughs> I don't know. That's funny. <laughs> but, that was interesting. I was like, okay, I never had that just one language as my education. I have a different language in, during my own uh, education. But yeah, it was. And now I, I, for the Kurdish language, when I went to Iraqi Kurdistan, uh, it was a different dialogue. I never had that chance to study in Kurdish. So the first year, I couldn't, I, I slept for just four hours. All the day I was translating Kurdish to Farsi and then to wow. understand the Kurdish and then to learn it. So it was for me it was a totally different language because I didn't have that chance in Iran to study my own language. You know, it's a banning Kurdish sure. education. So in Iraqi Kurdistan, I learned how to read and write, and I have more than I can tell you more than hundred articles in Kurdish language about the politics, uh, uh, analyzing politics in that region. Wow, that's incredible! Yeah. I, uh, I I need to study in a few different other languages. I imagine. <laughs> I imagine it can be challenging initially. Uh, it is. It is. But, you know, when you're studying political science, you have to be really good with the theories. And yep. studying theories and politics both is not easy. So you have to know the language very well. Sometimes that's part of the, we as international students, when we come to the different countries with the English language, we have that struggle. But good, when, when you have a, already have a, that skill to learn a different language, it wouldn't be that much difficult. Sure. Well, so um, just touching on your dissertation for a moment uh, and for the audience, because a lot of times these conversations are had and most people don't know these political science terms, but what is securitization from uh, your perspective, just a broad definition? Securitization happen when the government state doesn't want to deal with the, some issue in the political way, normal policy. When they mm. don't want to deal like uh, with that, issue with the normal policy they trying to securitize that topic so mm -hmm. if i want to make it much easier for your audience uh like why ethnic groups so in iran is my it's my case so when kurdish when iranian government trying to uh they cannot handle that issue of that question of the ethnic groups in iran what are they trying to do they trying to make it as a security issue yeah. 
So when they make a security, your identity will be uh, will identify as a threat to the state security. Yeah. So why they do that? Because it will be much easier for them to attack you and to mobilize other people against you. Sure. So because securitization is a process. Yeah. Based on the theory of securitization, is that when the government use that rhetoric. A speech of act when the speech become a security speech and got mm-hmm. accepted by audience, then the case will be a security case. Sure. So when the government of Iran has that kind of a definition for the Kurd, now right now we can see it. You know, you already talked about it about the the protest going on in Iran. Mm-hmm. So the protest started with the killing a Kurdish girl. Sure. In capital for just showing part of her hair. Mm-hmm. They call it unproper hijab. Okay. So when they killed her in the capital of Tehran, she was from Kurdish region. Mm-hmm. So the Kurdish region people, the Kurdistan, the people, they couldn't stay quiet. So they stopped protesting Okay. against that mandatory hijab killing of that girl. Sure. What happened because all other parts of the Iran, they follow Kurdish protests and they started that protest in Tehran in other cities. So mm-hmm. what happened? The government went back to the same theory, securitization. What they say, they say, oh, mm-hmm. that protest is a Kurdish protest. They are separatists. They are against the national oh, wow. security. They are against the, our sovereignty, national integrity. So they are terrorists, whatever the concept they put it to mobilize people against, against Kurds. Mm-hmm. Now, this time, the securitization didn't happen. It wasn't okay. successful. The, this time, people say, no, you are using your burned car. It's not working anymore. Sure. You killed innocent people, and curse are our people. Not mm. the different, we're not talking about the different people who are against us. You are against our right, not curse. So mm. that's how the process of this time didn't work. Okay. That when when we want to put it in the one of the uh, like in, for instance we want to talk about this protest as a securitization case. Interesting. So, okay. So getting into the kind of discussion of what is happening in Iran. So just so you know, what I don't do is I don't follow the media trails that make it into the United States on foreign. Uh, Issues, especially the ones that involve some kind of like political dispute or violence, because the political entities or political entrepreneurs or even the media has an opportunity to filter and interpret this in a way uh, that they think might be appropriate in America. So I normally wait a couple of months after an event before I go and try to understand what's going on. So just so you know. I've heard headlines and I've seen some tweets and some basic information on uh, what's happening in Iran, but I've been ignoring most of it because uh, what I was hoping to do uh, now that we're scheduled is to get a better synopsis from you of like, what exactly is going on in Iran? Uh, What, like, what, what is uh the major grievances at this point how does this fit into the kind of broader issues um 
that have been kind of brewing in, in Iran over, you know, an extended period of time? Actually, unfortunately, it, it wasn't that... Um, if it wasn't um, outside Iranian, if they didn't have that huge protest this time, if it wasn't because of the Twitter, social media's uh, tweets about what's going on in Iran, maybe after, like you you say, after two months, three months, you want to check what happened. If this time you uh, want to go and check three time, three months later, you will see a different story like previous one. If it wasn't okay. because of what we have in the social media, the people awareness of what's going on inside of Iran. And you, if you ask me why, why always the protests in Iran didn't have a, that much influence in American media? If why the people just it happened few days and they forget about it? Why we didn't have a really the true voice of Iranian inside of America? I will tell you because of twenty years of Iranian lobbies here, they working for twenty years to always prevent Americans to know what's going on inside of Iran. 20 years is a long time for the lobby. It, these lobbies are not people, normal people anymore. They become That's a public right. figure in American media. They are in the, I don't want to mention any media's name, but they are in the most popular media on the TV, think tank, okay. university. And they they building that kind of the lobby for 20 years. Okay. So that's the reason American, for first time, they say, oh my God, is that the regime? The killing people just because part of their hair is out? Is that the regime sure. uh, forcing a, uh, a young girl how to talk, even how to wear, and arresting a singer for just one uh, word or arresting a, the, one of the national team soccer uh, player just for um, supporting the protesters? Sure. They didn't know about that. Why? Because what we hear about Americans' media all is about how we can have a agreement about nuclear program of Iranian regime. Yeah. Iran nuclear deal, Iran nuclear deal, diplomatic with the diplomacy with Iran, all these Americans fall. Even that's so funny actually because the Supreme Leader after seven sixteen days of killing people by his force on the street of Iran, he came at the end of that long silence. He came, you know what was his comment about that old protest killing all these people? Hmm. He said, that's all these Americans and Americans plan. Oh, so, <laughs> that that's that's the he's not the only one blaming America for all fault inside of the country. Okay. There is even American inside of America, they say they blame America for the Iranian regime's uh, brutality, which is so interesting. How I don't know, I don't wanna be really unpolite and using some bad word, but I just like say Yeah. These people are, need to educate themselves about what's going on in Iran. Killing yeah. a 22-year-old girl for compulsory hijab. Mm -hmm. Tell me what is America's fault here? What America sure. do with that killing? And that, sure. that's the problem we have for 20 years. The Iranian lobby trying to tell American all things going on inside of Iran is related to sanction. Okay. Whatever is happening inside Iran because you put sanction on that regime. Right. And I'm telling them, so let's remove all sanctions. What will happen? The regime's compulsory hijab, this radical Islamic rule going to change? No, because it's a part of the, 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 
they um, what they calling uh, uh, they uh, structure fundamentally element a factor of the Islamic regime is the compulsory hijab. It's like ISIS. You want to show outside of the um, Iran, you want to show that in the global stage that you are Islamic regime, you have sure. to cover women's body. Woman is one of the tools for them to show that how this, how you will find a, 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 a country is an Islamic country when you go to the country. You will see all women cowered then you say, okay, that's the Islamic regime's country. Even in the Arab country, like the Saudi Arabia, we always talk about the how human rights is always have a they have a really we have a really critical situation in Saudi Arabia too about the human rights. Even that sure. kind of the country, we don't have a compulsory hijab. Mm. The place that Islam coming from in the Arab countries, and now they trying to use women as a tool for their own power. So if you sure. remove sanction, all this money will be released. And what, what would happen to this money? We have a 2015 uh, experience. The money goes for these regimes forced to get more strong, not just inside of the country, to outside of the country, to sure. the militia group. You, you study political science. What is the yeah. foreign policy? What is the state, one state, normal state foreign policy? Every uh, state. Go well, ahead, no, if you want to go different. <laughs> So no, the condition of the foreign policy, the foreign policy of each state, each government should be defined based on the national security interest. Okay, sure. You define foreign policy based on the national security. So how you will identify your national security? Because you have to have a definition of the national security. What is your national security interest? Sure. In Iran, we don't have that. We don't have a national security interest. Hmm. Because I That's already worked on uh, on that paper, I have a paper which I won the uh, the best uh, proposal in the Asmia conference. I'm going to present this paper about the Iran national security concept in November. Okay. I have a, that paper will be uh, I will uh, present. I, I will talk about that paper in the detail in that conference and in my panel. So the concept of the national security of Iran which we don't have it is a recently been academic work on Iran, inside Iran, Iran even they work in trying to so what is our national security really because Iranian regime they talking about the, how they can uh, expand this Islamic revolutionary ideology okay how they are in the Farsi they call it the uh, Islamic nation not the sure. Iranian nation so the Islamic nation is made out of your border. Okay. So you are considering all Islamic people as your goal to reach out to them and mm -hmm. to to uh, to change all their mind to what you have as a Shia uh, religious and ideology and radical ideology of the Shia in the region. Sure. So that's the reason you don't have the some foreign policy that just related to Iranian interests, to your people interests. Because your people, these land are kind of the tool that you are using for this ideology. So okay. there is no border, no security interest, no national security. So that's the reason Iranian foreign policy is not talking about having normal relation with the neighbor countries, with mm -hmm. the region countries. What they have, so when you don't have a normal foreign policy, who will be your friend? Who will have a normal diplomatic relation with you? No one. Right. 
So what you will have, it's you will have militia group. You will have un, uh, non-state actors as the ally in the region. That's what wow. the regime has. So, <laughs> oh the, the, my goodness, I'm seeing what... You know, you have to remember your knowledge far surpasses mine in this area, oh, but no. I have, but, but I have studied enough that I'm starting, you know, I'm connecting some dots as you're talking through some of this. And these are, some of these things are things I, you know, never considered until the last couple of years or even just in the last couple of days. Um, so, so as I say, unfortunately, we didn't have a, uh, we didn't have these people in, in, uh, Western, uh, media or academia to talk about the real face of the regime. So they're trying to show it as a normal actor, which is not normal actor, because the one one word is a key word on the definition of the Iranian regime, which is not my word. It is a supreme leader word. He says it is a revolutionary state. So what is the definition of the revolutionary state? Right. It tells you we're not stable yet. We're still in sure. the revolution situation. Yeah. So what is that? Because, you know, the revolution happened for some change. So sure. what is that revolution? Like in Iran, now I call it in my last piece on Washington City. I just published a few days ago. I'm talking about how the current protest in Iran is a another revolution. I compared this protest with the previous protest. We had it since 2009, 2017, 18, end of 2017, beginning of 2018, and 2019. So I compared then I say what we have Iran in a threshold of a, another revolution. So okay. what is the revolution is about about a changing the system we have. Sure. But what we call it, we call it a revolution in Iran. It's been changing the structure of the government in Iran, the system. But okay. the Islamic regime of Iran, the Supreme Leader, he say we are revolutionary, he said. What they trying to do, trying to change all the world structure. Mm -hmm. okay. They trying to change the world structure we have after the Cold War. They say we are sure. against all this structure. Right. So, how you will wait? How you will expect in this government to be a normal government to have a normal diplomatic relation with the not just United States with their own neighbor with the Iraq, Saudi Arabia, or Turkey or other neighbor that Iran has? Yeah, it's a very disruptive style of politics, and uh, for people that don't necessarily understand Iran either, um, it's very legitimate economically, right? Like uh, the government has. Uh, resources coming in uh there's so i think it's somewhere around uh like a couple hundred billion of gdp annually i might be a little off on that and then in some people's perception iran does have somewhat of a uh, regional hegemony would you agree with that depends because there in the political science uh, there is really problematic definition about the regional power superpower, okay. middle power. So we have a that difficulty here. So because it, it depends on GDP. Uh, so you, how about the Qatar? Where is the Qatar? Is GDP high? Okay. So is the power, is the middle power, is the regional power? So there is a definition based of the one, uh, what uh, indicator you're using to define this uh, kind of the concept as power. But as okay. a regional power, what the old school about the 
uh, regional power we know and most of the academy people they're relying on that factors is the the uh, the population the territory and then gdp part of it and the, the military so based on that okay. old definition of the regional power we can say turkey saudi arabia and iran there are three regional power sure. but uh, for iran because as i say it doesn't have that relation with the neighbors and okay. iran is really a rich country we have to admit that iran with the, these natural sources Iran sure. with that population, Iran with this geography location is really uh, is a rich country. And if it has a normal state, it would be one for sure. It will be a regional power. OK, That's but fair. my argument here is that right now you have a three competitors in the Middle East to become regional power, Saudi Arabia, Turkey and Iran. And who's winning? Sure. I think for now Saudi Arabia is winning the the game of the that he's they they winning this competition for now. Okay. Is is a is a, is my my uh, argument uh, and I reached to that conclusion based of the many different factors. Saudi sure. changing foreign policy, making more uh, zero problem with the neighbors policy, which was Turkey's foreign policy. Right now okay. Saudi is doing that. They have a, that policy to have better relation based on the economy not based on the islamic ideology not based of the um like nationalism we had in the arab during the egypt during the nasser time turkey failed turkey tried to use the Sunni modern islamic in the foreign policy to go to the middle east become superpower the original okay. power sorry in during the arab uprising it failed it was mm-hmm. supporting the muslim brotherhood group in that region Egypt, one of the best example, the uh, uh, Morsi was a Turkey supported uh, president there. Okay. They felt Muslim Brotherhood felt. Then Turkey had a different plan. Asia and center of Asia is the Turkey's plan right now. So mm-hmm. Iran's foreign policy always been focusing on ideology. Okay. And the Shia ideology, the minority in the Sunni majority region is not going to work. Okay. Even the student in the first undergrad in political science, they know if you are a minority Shia ideology, you cannot impact on the ideology of the majority Sunni region. So what okay. happened right now, not just that change, the region's population, mostly they are young people. Okay. And based on the surveys and the data we have right now, it shows they don't care about the religious anymore. Interesting. What they care about it, they care more about to have a more um, modern, comfortable life, have access to the, um, you know, welfare that the government okay. needs to provide. So because they care about that, and, and, and most important, they become more uh, nationalism. They care about their own country. Okay. That, that Iran as a foreigner for the, like for Iraqi people, Look at what's going on in the Baghdad. I can't tell you more than 80% to 90% of young people that are against Iran because they, they see Iran as a Persian country and against them. Even they have a similar religion. They're both Shia. Sure. So the religious doesn't work anymore. So they, they more likely, they, they, they are more true Saudi Arabia relation with the Iraq more than the Iran's uh, relation with the Iraq because they found Iran as a reason for all this miserable life they have in Iraq. Jeez. There's so much information here. 
I don't normally. I'm sorry. Look. I'm trying to put in the correct way to tell you. There is a, a lot to say, but hopefully yes. I'm trying to make it much clearer with what I'm saying. No, it is. Trust me. I have uh, I already know some of my friends are going to enjoy this in my audience. And also, um, I'm going to go back and listen to this a couple of times in line with some of the things I'm studying right now. The, uh, like, I Islamic law or, like, Islamic governance structures are different than what I'm accustomed to just growing up under this idea of uh, liberal democracy, which is still elusive and who knows what's going on there. But uh, I think like when we talk about human rights issues, I think that a lot of, uh, I don't know that people truly understand what it means to be regulated in the government in a way where you do, do not have political or economic freedom. And then you mentioned earlier that at a certain point, uh, maybe you were coming up to like really new thinking and you were coming up with creative ideas and you were becoming smarter and maybe more outspoken. Uh, you called it political activities, but you know, th that may have been what it was, uh, attributed to as to why you needed to leave uh, Iran. Uh, but I just wanted to sit with that for a second because uh, it's like just on a basic level with your story, you're basically saying that once you hit a certain level of awareness or knowledge or understanding through education, life experience, whatever, uh, if it conflicts with the interest of the government, uh, then it's not tolerated. And uh, I, I wanted to highlight that for a second, but I, I didn't know if there is anything there that you wanted to expand on or just in the least. I just wanted to make sure people understand like like what we're talking about there, because it, it's not like a, there's so many implications when you start to consider like why you're in Virginia now and then all yeah. the other people that are affected by the dynamics that you grew up with. And, uh, and then again, like you're saying, uh, this is a persistent, uh, issue or a persistent question in Iran and, and other states and other parts of the globe. Uh, like we're still talking about women's ability to participate in the politics and the economics. We're still having that conversation so, so i didn't know if you had other thoughts in that vein or um, uh, you know uh, first of all because i'm a kurd i'm already uh, identified as a threat to islamic regime when i was born as a kurd in iran mm. so i grew up with that uh, kind of the uh, fear and my identity that i will be doesn't matter what i do in this country because of that identity, I will, I will always be seen as a threat. Mm -hmm. And for sure, I was a Sunni Kurd, so okay. it would make a double, <laughs> it make a more severe threat to the regime because being Sunni is another crime in your inside of Iran. Mm -hmm. And it's so and not, not to, you know? not to interrupt you, but like for <laughs> Americans, uh, you know, for example. Uh, Oh, through the securitization process, we were able to uh, achieve political ends with climate change, mm -hmm. right? 
We painted it as the most uh, critical threat to our national security. That's created tailwinds. We've raised billions of dollars and billions more coming, regardless of whether that's just rhetorical uh, or real. Uh, so I just want Americans uh, and people on the West to understand. So pretend climate change is an ethnic group and then pretend a country is painting an ethnic group as one of the biggest threats to the existence or sustenance of the state and uh, the people that are citizens of that state. Pretend climate change is an ethnic group, you know, exactly. and then it's that's the best way mm -hmm. to put them. And that that's scary because, um, you know, most people can't point to climate change. You could say uh, uh, maybe you can maybe it's a little hotter, right? Maybe, you know, so if we're talking about the human element, like what maybe they're a little darker maybe they have this background maybe they speak said language you know you know we're describing people as a threat when we talk about the securitization of uh ethnic uh, re uh religious so i i just wanted to highlight how uh you know i i think that is disgusting and i i'm still yeah. surprised at like even as i Sometimes I struggle with some of my studies because they, you know, there's a lot of uh, coverage on war, genocide, violence. Sometimes I grapple, right? Because like, you know, you're in one of the most powerful regions on the entire planet. And we know that uh, in America, we have very strong national security apparatus. Uh, we spend lots of money on, on war. Uh, but but just to think that there are governments that uh, build this kind of defense or security strategy that they can implement domestically. Like imagine if we were in America domestically and we were trying to limit women, but not only were we trying to create intellectual barriers, but physical or uh, legal or ideological barriers. I, I just wanted to zoom in because I think sometimes People hear human rights, they hear women's rights. Maybe they don't even know what we're talking about, but we're talking about states that have the ability to put rhetoric together that says actual human beings are dangerous. And then they use that to justify uh, enacting violence on those human beings if it uh, yeah, meets yeah, a yeah. political end or messaging I strategy. That, that's a perfect way to put on it than to, to this example, which easier for Americans to understand our pain. I, I give you one of the, my experience, even I'm here, I was in the, one of the clubhouse room, it was three, 4,000 people audience of this book where they are witness of what happened to me. Uh, okay. I, was in, I was invited with one of the uh, people on the stage to talk about the one of the one situation in the Middle East as one of the experts. They asked me to have my comment on that. And then suddenly in the middle of my talk, everybody talked, no one interrupted them. When it was my turn, one of the, the, the people on stage, he was one of the moderator too. He interrupted me and said, oh, you're a Kurd. You're a Cypriot. Cypriotist. You don't have a right oh, to talk wow. among us. And then oh, wow. I was, I said, okay, <laughs> you know, I, I actually I cried. I, I really, it was a really sad moment for me because mm. You coming? And I told him my family lives there. I I grew up there. It's my land. It's my country. It's my region. As a Kurdish region, I'm coming from there. You cannot cut me from having opinion about what's going on 
in the foreign policy of the country. He said, no, since you are a Kurd, you are a separatist. Wow. And that, so that was that was among almost 4,000 people in that room. He did that. And there was people who supported me. He said, that's shameful because you even didn't listen to her what she's talking. Just because she's a Kurd, she's a threat, she's a separatist, she doesn't have a right to talk. Right. So we and don't have so, it in a... Mm-hmm. Well, and it's just mind-boggling to me that uh, you can build this thinking into the structure of uh, people. And so now uh, Kurd is correlated in people's minds, not in reality, with separatism. And that's yeah. dangerous. And and we don't talk about the normal people who are not educated. We're talking about that person. He's yep. the, studying the one of the England University. Right. He's in England. So it doesn't mean he where he's living, what he's doing. His brain been for years and years. Uh, he he been brain. I I don't know. Call it brainwash or it is what he grew up with that ideology that Kurdish identity is a threat to um, the, the country, and and that's so weird because Kurds are making more than ten percentage of Iranian population, ten sure. to twelve percentage. And we are more than 10 million people. So mm. you'd think 10 million people in this country are a threat. Right. And we know Kurds are the largest ethnic group as they don't have a state. Kurds are more than 40 million people in the Middle East. There are more than 10 million in Iran, 20 million in Turkey, 5, million, 5 to 6 million in Iraq, and around 3 million in Syria and Kurdistan. Mm. And what is interesting, actually, I always keep telling my, my Kurdish friend, I say, why? all the Middle East, all our history, the slogan and the talking about the peace is our argument. We are talking about the peace. Sure. Each part of the Kurdish region, when you talk to the Kurdish political party, Kurdish educated people, or Kurdish even um, normal citizen, they will tell you, oh, we want a peace. And who occupied our land and who is like forcing their culture, their identity, they never ever use the peace word and they're always using force against us and they identify as a threat, us as a threat, as a separatist. Now, mm. what will happen if in the family, no one accepts you? What will exactly. happen in the family? Just as an example, you have, you have a five, four brothers or sisters. They tell you you don't have a right in the money or the wealth of the family. You don't yeah. have a right to have a, a clear water in the family to drink. You don't have a right to eat. You don't have a right to dress. You don't have a right to talk. So who you are in this family, really? Are you part of this family? Who's exactly. pushing you to, to stay away from the family? And right. you try your best. You say, you know, I'm part of you. You know, I'm caring too. You know, I want to be part of it. And they say, no. So, and they, they, they going with that ideology to blaming you. Oh, you are the one you want to separate from us. You are the one you don't want to stay with us. So yeah. that's, that's the simple. Yeah, and, and and for for economy, like um, at the beginning of the show, I told you I want to be a doctor. That's the reason I got accepted to medical school. Sure. You didn't ask me which major you wanted to to graduate. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you cannot believe it. Uh, I was just, you know, I was in high school. I wanted to become a heart surgeon. Okay. And always, um, all my family, they know about that story. Uh, imagine a, a young girl 
in high school why she want to be a heart surgeon sure i always want i thought we have they hurt our heart a lot in this country i want to fix kurdish heart in this country oh wow that was that's part of my book actually <laughs> okay you that. that that was and that it was so interesting because when i was in the uh, high school i got diploma in science i always focused on the studying the science to become the heart surgeon that everybody in the family because i was too young they called me doctor from that age they say she wanted to oh, be heart wow. surgeon and all why i have that that opinion why i wanted to be heart surgeon because i found an they they every day they broke Kurdish heart. I oh, want to fix wow. the heart, and sure. then I ended to become a political analyst, become a lawyer, and I hope yeah. I can put all this together to to help my people's cause to bring yes. peace and uh, to freedom to whoever fighting for that freedom. Yes, I'm with you on uh, that front and on that fight. We'll um we'll wrap up. But I mean, I could talk to you for hours about these things. You know, we're we're talking about very important subject matter. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but but I did want to highlight some things that I think people should really think about more and and spend more time pondering. Uh, so I I guess the last thing that we can kind of end off with, uh, when's your book coming out? When 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 uh, are you going to present your dissertation? What else are you working on? Uh, at the moment because the book will take longer than uh what uh, really maybe other actually novel book is really always uh, take a long time to finish sure. and this novel that i'm writing because of my life it wouldn't be just a novel or part of the uh my life it will be a source for political science studies too because okay. when I when I went to Iraq in 2004, it was a year after the Saddam's regime's collapse. So I was witness all these development, the social, political development. So part of my writing is about that kind of the change in society, how the people's opinion about the life change in that region, Kurdistan region, Iraq. Part sure. of it is about how, as an Iranian woman, we face all these... Uh, um, restriction as a woman to live in the uh, free life and part of it is about the how Kurds in Iran facing that threat every day in daily, in daily life and because I'm coming from the city that is the most uh, disputed region in Iran between Turk and Kurds so I grew up in that city and always I say if we don't care take care of that part of the Iran if any civil war happened in this country, it will happen in that city that I grew up and I am coming from that city. It's called Ormia city. Turks okay. say it is Turkish city. Kurds say it is Kurdish city. Um, I don't want to go on that background who is the city belong to. I'm just giving you my own family background that my great grandfather was the, uh, he had a, his own castle in that city in 16th oh, wow. century. So, okay. Some they they tell me you have to call yourself princess because you're family from real family in that <laughs> year. But I'm a normal individual. But sure. my my great grandfather had a castle in that city in 16th century, and the castle is still there, but being okay. destroyed by the government. So the places of the castle you can see part of the castle even now. So you see who's the real owner of the land. But 99 percent wow. of the uh, administration right now in my city is uh, being ruling by 
uh, Azeri Turks who are Shia and who has the most power with the Islamic regime in the government. That's the reason uh, we have a really difficult situation in this city. I grew up with that kind of the problems. I have a two uh, local authority and the central government authority, two authority against my identity. So that's the reason. It's a part of what's going. I'm going to cover in my book, which takes yes. a long time to cover all these issues, you know. And sure. for the PhD, because I already finished my two chapters, I'm trying to finish the rest of the chapters. Hopefully by next year. I don't sure. know because PhD is the really the the journey that you never know when it will end. That and you will get there. Then the professor will give you the green light to tell you. You know, they have a in the dissertation defense. You have a, that yellow red and green light if you sure. give you green light then you're done okay well i'm i'm cheering for you and uh if you stay in research i'm definitely going to keep reading it for as long as i can uh but i'll definitely be following you closely for uh people listening where are the best places to find you or like where do you like people to check your content out i'm on twitter you can easily find my comment on most post-development in the Middle East. And I share my uh, interviews. Uh, when I had interview with the TVs, I'm trying to write it in English because most of interviews are in uh, Farsi language, in Kurdish, and in different other languages. So I'm trying to uh, post it with the English uh, writing as a summary of the, what I talk about it in my on my Twitter. LinkedIn okay. is part of it. So I'm easy to get the access to my information or get in contact with me you can find me on twitter and text me if you need any other more information about what we uh, talk about it today yeah thank you so much i'll include links uh, when i post this and uh it's been great to speak with you thank you very much thank you for having me and thank you for this opportunity to share part of my story it's really interesting when you share your life and your story you feel much better. You feel like yes. it's helping you to to have a, that sharing that information for others, which make you feel much better. I'm glad, and also uh, the things you're describing that are as part of your life, I think, are also very important, um, especially in the, the political and international community. So, thank you again for uh, taking this thank time. Thank you very much. Thank you.